The marathon can be a tricky race to run. It's a race of patience, hitting that perfect pace not too fast, but also not too slow. It's a race of perseverance, being able to run through distances and discomfort that have been known to digest even the most experienced whole. And it's a race of preparation, logging endless miles, honing your nutrition plan, and becoming familiar with every known scenario. From its mythical beginnings, runners have found their motivations to run this feat of athleticism in many facets of their life, and my guests on today's show are no different. On this week's show, we chat with Pan Am Marathon bronze medalist Rachel Hanna as she gets set to tackle the most famous foot race in North America, the Boston Marathon. And we catch up with Blair Morgan before he heads to Prague in May for his marathon debut, where he will be taking a crack at the World Championships qualifying standard. You're listening to The Terminal Mile at The Terminal Mile on Twitter and Instagram, a Tracky Radio production. I think it's fair to say that Rachel Hanna is almost a throwback to a different time in professional running. She still holds down a job outside of running, and she's not afraid to race, whether it be on the roads, the track, or on the turf of a cross-country course. Since her debut a few years ago in the marathon, she's progressed into a top-level marathoner with a Pan Am bronze medal to her name. She'll be racing at the Boston Marathon this Monday. First things first, uh, how has the training been going, and, and how has the build-up been going into Boston? Oh, yeah, the training has been um, good so far. I've had a little bit of a setback this winter. I find always training through Canadian winters can be challenging to uh, stay healthy. So um, since November, I've been having some uh, ongoing uh, foot issues. So it's been a couple months. Um, kind of started with plantar fasciitis, moved to another part of my foot. Uh, but luckily, I'm turning a corner now in the last uh, three weeks, probably over three weeks now, I've been feeling really strong again. Um, so that's a good sign going in, not having any pain anymore. Um, so I did everything needed. I actually took a week off at the start of March just to make sure um, that I was completely healed. I uh, did some cross training and then just built back really slowly and carefully. Um, so I'm glad that I took that time off just to uh, completely get better. Um, but now I'm feeling good. So also at the beginning of March was NACAC Cross Country, which I believe you were at. You were representing our country. Um you know, I, I thought that was kind of kind of interesting. You know, a lot of people stray away from from you know cross country when there when there's big races happening later in the year. How did NACAC go for you? Uh, yeah, it wasn't great just because of the foot issues that were going on. So uh, the plantar fasciitis luckily went away before that, but I had this really acute, weird kind of tugging feeling on my ankle about two weeks beforehand. Um, it started to get a little bit better, so I thought I was being optimistic. I thought, you know, a couple of days down, I'd be fine with um, some reduced training, but it didn't uh, end up going away, and it was actually quite painful during the race. So I learned from there not to run through pain. Uh, I shouldn't have gone in the first place because I wasn't 100% healthy. Um, so you always learn these things as an athlete. Like um, And like you said, you know, you always want to try to run on national teams and represent your country as best possible, but um, it was one of those situations where I should have sat it out. Um, so then we decided not to do uh, the World Cross Country, uh, and luckily I was able to, um, uh, with the decline, uh, another girl, uh, Julian, she was able to go in my place. I was really happy that they were able to find uh, another person to run on the team, um, so I'm happy that that worked out for the team in Canada. Um, but yeah, I thought it would have been, like when we were looking back and planning everything, had I been 100% healthy, um, I do think Cross Country can lay the foundation for strength, and it really does. Um, help with that build and you hear a lot of stories of people running a really great cross-country race and you know stepping on the track and setting personal best so you know cross-country will always be a part of my season for that reason 
not just for strength building, but of course you need to be 100% healthy when you're running over uh, uneven surface and you're wearing spikes. Like in that type of race, you have to be 100% for sure. So your your choice to to run NACAX and uh, and you said that you were definitely considering the before the injury uh, running at Worlds as well. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's a, that's more uh, a love for running in the in the Canada singlet, or is it more of a, a love for cross country, or or is it both? I think both. Yeah, for sure. I think the well, the main thing would be running for Canada. That's always an honor to be on any national team. Um, and then also just the love for cross country and the sport, and knowing that you know the world championship only comes around every two years for it, so it's always great to take part whenever possible. Um, we thought it'd be a good prep to do, you know, a hard 10K about three weeks before uh, Boston because I wouldn't want to go any longer before that, but we thought mm-hmm. it would fit in quite well into my training plan. So the spring is is really full of, of great marathons to run. There's there's Rotterdam, there's mm-hmm. London, uh, Prague's great too. You're running the Boston Marathon, which is also a great uh, marathon, don't get me wrong, but uh, I kind of mm-hmm. want to know why Boston? Why did you decide on that race? Yeah, Boston, um, just the, I'm really excited for, you know, you think about the history and the legend of the Boston Marathon. Um, everybody's worked really hard to get there and just the long running into the whole event. Like, it's just really exciting to be a part of that. I've heard great stories about the crowd support just being lined up along the course. So I'm really looking forward to that as well. Um, and knowing that, um, also Boston, you know, being a New Balance sponsored athlete for a number of years, um, Boston's the home of New Balance. So it's somewhat of a hometown support just from all the uh, New Balance employees at the headquarters. I'm also looking forward to that as well. Um, And yeah, like I was saying at the beginning, like, uh, you know, thinking about how everybody has qualified and worked really, really hard to get there. And I I think for most people and, you know, not even thinking about elite athletes because they would have the opportunity to qualify. And I'm sure a lot of them have gone to the Olympics, but uh, you think about any um, other person who maybe isn't at that level to qualify, that would be kind of their um, equivalent in terms of the marathon to like, the Olympics for them. So I think it means a lot to everybody. Um, so just looking forward to taking part in that um, the whole race weekend and experience. You hear all sorts of stories. Um, you know, I think of Dick Beardsley uh, back in the the duel in the sun and and in preparation for that race, how he would uh, he apparently would uh, would pound his fists on on his quads and in months of preparation, you know, just so he could be ready for going down those hills. Uh, and you, mm-hmm. you also hear stories of people doing a lot of, a lot of hill training. Have you done any, you know, race specific, um, training for Boston? Uh, yeah, we've been thinking about that a lot in my training in the winter run. So trying to do a bit hillier route. Uh, and I remember one of the days, too, we did try to um, do some hills in the back section. So we're always thinking about that in my roots leading up to it, knowing that, like, trying to actually place the hills at least over halfway uh, into the run, uh, trying to mimic as best possible the hills in the, the second half of the course. Um, it's actually funny that you mentioned uh, Dick Beardsley because uh, my coach was saying, and he's saying, you know, when you're running up Heartbreak Hill, think of the battle of the duel in the sun mm-hmm. <laughs> between him and Alberta. So it's kind of funny, like, thinking about the history and how they run on that same course, too. Um, but, yeah, just more more hill training and trying to do, you know, hill sprints out at the end of my workouts, too. Um, and even in my intervals, sometimes we would, um, when I'm doing, you know, longer things building up, like, especially into Houston, it was a flat course. So generally I would keep pretty flat on my 
long workouts like say I'm doing you know three times AK I generally wouldn't run too many hills in that um, whereas this time when I was doing my longer intervals we tried to at least do one kind of hill loop which would be um, kind of rolling for at least about a kilometer to a mile so trying to incorporate that um, into my intervals as well um, has been important and um, something that has changed as part of this build compared to other marathons. Have you have you set your final goals yet for uh, for the Boston Marathon? Um, I think the, the main goal is to run, you know, really strong, smart race, uh, be really consistent and not try to go out too hard. I'd really love as best possible. I mean, you know, always dream this to run uh, even pace. So I don't want to go out any harder just because it is downhill. I think that can really, um, really affect you in the later half, especially as you mentioned, going up the hills. Um, so trying to be really consistent, stick to my pace, be strong, have, have a really good positive experience. And I think that that can, you can set up for that if you don't go out too hard. Um, in the beginning. Um, in terms of placing or time, it, it's really hard to say because it depends on the field that day. Um, of course, you know, top 15 would be amazing. Um, also with time, uh, depends on conditions, but setting a personal best with all would be amazing as well, but it does depend on um, on how the day goes and how I'm feeling. So obviously really big news uh, earlier this year, it might have been late last year, but a, a change to the criteria for the IAAF World Championship uh, Marathon qualifiers this year. Um, no longer super, super strict. Um, I would say that, that you have a very, very good chance uh, at making that world team. Is that something that you're interested in? And how did the change to the criteria really affect you and your goals for this spring? Yes, it's really good news, and I was very um, happy to hear that. And I think um, across the board, it encourages more participation and people trying to reach the goal now that it's more attainable. So it's exciting because then hopefully we'll have more women running marathons too, trying to go for the time. Um, it didn't really change this plan because I, I was going to do Boston all along, and I never realized, you know, um, wouldn't be considered for, for a time. But I think a good quality um, placing, good strong run there would really um, help in, in terms of um, leading up to that. And, and I really do hope that I'll get to do World of, it just depends on how everyone else runs, but that is um, a main goal of mine this August to be able to, to represent Canada in, in the marathon in London. That would be amazing. So I don't know if you've put a whole lot of thought into this, but I mean, you've put in a, in a few marathons since your debut, um, including mm-hmm. a, a bronze medal at the Pan Am Games a couple of years ago. Uh, but you also won the Canadian 10,000 meter championships last year. You've done really, really well in cross as well. What kind of runner would you consider yourself to be at this point? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question, right? Because I think with the marathon, you can tend to, like some people can, you know, they start out and they do well, they can get stuck into just doing marathons. So I'd say um, that's not that's not me um, in any case. I'll still continue to do them, but I'm going to be smart about it. And, and like you mentioned, still um, run a range of distances. I think that's really important because it keeps things interesting, keeps things fresh. Like I'll still, you know, I'd love to get down and do another 5K and try to break my PB one day. So that's not out of the question. Um, so I still want to race anywhere from yeah, 5K up to the marathon. So I'm not really sure what I consider myself, I guess, varied in terms of just switching things up uh, season to season and keeping things interesting and, and staying healthy. So I, you live in Guelph, Ontario, and the uh, and the 10,000 meter championships was in Guelph last year. Was was that mm-hmm. a big part of it? And did you really feel the the home home crowd support uh, as as you ran it last year? 
Yeah, I did. It was really amazing, and it um, it felt really good to just comfortable to be able to run here. There was a lot of people out supporting, and, and one thing that actually um, I remember and, and struck me was that a lot of people were standing on the track instead of in the the stands, which I thought was really cool because it almost mimicked a road race <laughs> type environment. <laughs> which I mean, when you're running a 10k on the track, it's uh, getting close to those uh, the long distances that you'd be running on the road. Um, so that was very neat, and I think that uh, helped quite a bit. Uh, and I remember at the time I had been, um, you know, I was coming back, I did the 10K championships on the road, and I was feeling good in that race, but that was my first race back where I really felt quite strong again coming back from another kind of setback earlier in March. Um, so it felt good to just have a really positive uh, race on that day. You were on the show a couple of years ago, and I remember touching – on the whole work sport balance because you you do work quite a bit uh but you are at the top level of the sport as well too uh since then you you've had your marathon debut and and you've done a couple marathons since then as as we mentioned what's changed there has have you learned some some lessons in time management or have you just kind of tweaked things and and things are going great now or or what's the deal yeah, so um, I'm really lucky, and now I'm at a point where I've got a very good balance in terms of um, work and training. So I was able to cut back my hours at work because, like you mentioned, as I started to train for the marathon, I did the first one, and I was uh, working full-time. And I was almost working, actually, full-time leading up into Houston. I think I started um, part-time hours in the December, so the month before. Um, but then I was finding that I was just getting a lot more tired just with the increased training, so it really is helpful um, to be working part-time hours now. Um, before that, I just learned, yeah, like just time management, making priorities, and um, just making sure you really focus on all the details, like, like sleep and recovery. So really, you just had to make the most of the hours that were in the day and just be smart about it. Um, but now that I've got the increased time to rest, and I have realized how much more energy I have now, so I'm definitely in a good place at the moment. Um, but I think, you know, when I'm giving advice to other people, I think it, it can be done. You can, you can work full-time hours. You just have to set your priorities. And you just have to realize that there's going to be um, some sacrifices you're going to have to make. So you might not see your family and friends as much. That's one of them for sure. <laughs> uh, big news uh, happening last night, yesterday, uh, as of this recording. But uh, Jemima Sumgong, uh, Olympic champion, she also did really well in some, some marathon majors uh, over the past couple of years, uh, was tested positive uh, in her A sample for some, some EPO in the off-season. You know, how, how much does this sort of affect you? And um, does, it, does it really play onto your mind at all? Yeah, I did. Um, I read a little part of that. Um, and I saw it pop up, and and I do think you know it is quite disappointing when you think about the sport and how you wanna you wanna think that everybody is doing it naturally and clean, but then you hear stories like this, especially you know Olympic champions. So, um, I think you just have to be aware of like sticking to your own values and just knowing that you would never take part in that. You're gonna work hard and and do things the right way. Um, I think that we are quite lucky. Um, you know, in Canada, that we have a, a structure in place where we're getting drug tested often. So we have quite a good protocol here to hopefully catch anyone who would be using um, any sort of performance enhancing drugs. Um, so I think we've got it lucky, but you never know in mean, other parts of the world and, and what pressure is, is put on the team altogether and the coaches. You just don't know anyone's story. So I don't think you can make assumptions about the athlete itself. It's never right, of course, to use. Um, anything that's not legal, um, but you also don't know their story and, and why they started using it either. 
Um, but it is definitely sad, right? You want to make mm-hmm. sure that you want to think that everybody um, is doing it naturally, but unfortunately, that's not the case. So, so we just got to promote our own drug clean sport. <laughs> mm-hmm. So after Boston, um, I realized that, that your plans probably could change quite a bit. Uh, you know, if for your Canadian fans, where, where can we catch you after Boston? Where, where do you hope to be racing? Yeah, I hope to do, I'll take about a week off and then I'd like to do one of the, um, one of the Canadian championships. So whether that's the, uh, half marathon or the uh, 10,000 on the track or not on the track, the, uh, the 10k road championships because it's on the same weekend. So, uh, we'll decide which one uh, to do, but one of those races. Um, then you're at, you were talking about the uh, Guelph race, so I would like to do that in June again because that's also the championship. Um, so those those two events uh, for sure. And then um, aside from that, I'm not sure at this moment. Depends on uh, August <laughs> what happens there. Rachel Hanna will be running the uh, the Boston Marathon this year. You can find her on Twitter at Rachel Hanna RD. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you've decided what kind of runner you are yet, but I was just thinking that, uh, you kind of remind me of, of, a Bill Rogers, you know, you're, you're kind of all over the place. <laughs> you do well at a bunch of things, but I do want to thank you for, uh, for being on the show this week. I really do appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Michael. Appreciate it. Blair Morgan has enjoyed some notable success over the past few years with a 14, 10, 5,000 meter run and a 105 high half last year. But at just 23, it might come as a shock to some that he actually has his eye on the marathon, as nowadays competitive runners tend to stay away from that race until they're a little bit older. Blair has his eye on making the World Champs team though, so he'll be in Prague this May, making his debut, and hoping for the best. So 2016 was a, a huge year for you. You saw a whole bunch of PBs, uh, including a 14105 k in, uh, in Belgium and a 5000, which was you know, pretty massive for you. Uh, as well, you ran your debut half in 105.56. Uh, it was a net downhill course, but that is still some fairly serious chops uh, there. We're talking to you today, though, because you're going to be running the Prague Marathon on May 7th, which is uh, is coming up quickly. Uh, I would like to point out that you are just 23, which is, you know, it's pretty early on for someone uh, to be jumping into the marathon, at least in this day and age. Tell me why Prague, why now, why the marathon? Well, the, the main why is the uh, the 219 standard that AC has set for Worlds, so that, that's the main motivation behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd been thinking about moving up, especially after the, the half in the fall, and then um, they put out their revised standards, and I talked to, talked to Paula, um, thought about it a bit, talked to Brant and my parents and decided that 219 was a doable, a doable standard. Um, and then I, with Prague, it just, I wanted to give myself the best shot I could at hitting that standard. And, uh, I, I spent a few days just trying to, trying to find a race, but there weren't really anyone's close by that had consistent winning times. Mm-hmm. in the low two ten ish range. And I, I wanted to find a race where there was going to be guys hitting sub 220. So I just figured I'd, I'd uh, make my way over to Prague and that way I could just sit in a good pack and hopefully roll with a good group to that sub 219. 
when I was uh, chatting with you last week, uh, the Elite list hadn't come out quite yet. Um, have they yet? And do you have, you know, regardless, you have a pretty good idea of, of what the depth of the field is. Will there be a lot of people, you know, rolling in that in that 218 range? Yeah, so I haven't actually seen a list of anyone. Um, I, I have no idea who's going to be there. I haven't heard of any other Canadians or anything. Um, I mean, it, it's pretty close to, to London and to Boston, so there's none of no big names, at least out front. Um, but in terms of depth, looking at, just looking at the past few years' worth of results, uh, sub-220 is usually good for like top 15 to top 20-ish range. So that's that's the kind of depth I'm hoping for this year as well. So I'm sure a lot of people have followed you throughout your collegiate career, um, and they probably would know you more as, as more of a, a strength-based runner, um, you know, someone who really benefits uh, in, in the longer races and, and stuff like that. Marathon training is, is all about strength training, really. Uh, you know, getting getting the longer runs in, get, getting your M paces in, getting your, your T paces in. How has the, uh, the marathon training been going for you? Um, it's been going well, yeah. I was definitely known as more of a high-mileage high guy um, at max for the, the last few years there. Um, and so the, the training has been more focused on just getting in longer quality M and like T pace work, as opposed to just running mega mileage. Um, so it's, it's just been more consistent high mileage plus getting in those, uh, quality sessions every week. I saw on your on your Strava account, uh, you actually put in a forty-two kilometer run uh, a couple weeks ago. How did that go? And, and were you trying out some different fueling things on that run? I mean, what did you learn from your first attempt at that distance? Um, yeah. So the the I guess the goal of that run was to get in uh, a couple hours at easy pace, just to fatigue the legs a bit, and then put in. Um, like a 10k effort and try and hit marathon pace on tired legs. Um, and then also, I mean, all my long runs since I started the build have been trying to refine my, uh, fueling plan. So every time I get out there, I just, just try and practice and, uh, see how the body is responding to the fueling. So the word on the street is that, uh, there is a famous Hamiltonian who has been, uh, you know, offering little bits of advice here and there. Uh, maybe you could expand on that, uh, who that is, and uh, and just how he's played into your marathoning plan so far. Yeah, so I mean, for for those of uh, your listeners who don't know <laughs> who that Hamiltonian would be, that's Reed Coolsat, um, who's living back in Hamilton now. Um, so when I decided to to take a crack at the marathon um paula got in touch with reed and uh we set up a meeting and we just sat down for a couple hours and just picked reed's brain really on on all things marathoning um mileage key workouts uh fueling um just all the the major points and really any any tips 
he wanted to give me um, that I was going to take because he's, he's very consistent and obviously he's very good at the marathon and um, he's just going to have a lot of great advice. What would you say that uh, maybe the biggest piece of, of take-home advice from, from Reed that you've gotten is? Um, I think a couple of the a couple of the workouts that I've done and I've got planned have they haven't come exactly from him, but um, he he definitely planted the seed for them. And then his fueling tips, I've because he's he's gotten all his fueling stuff from uh, Trent uh, Sellingworth in Guelph, and pretty much I. I took his fueling advice almost letter for letter or at least as much as I could. So you've, uh, you've mentioned Paula Polishner, who is, uh, an Olympian over 1500 meters. Uh, you also mentioned Brent, Brent Satchel, uh, who has been on the show numerous times. He's up in Kingston. Uh, you've mentioned Reed. It really sounds like a, a truly collaborative process. How has that worked out for, for you and what are the dynamics like? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely has been a collaboration. Um, so when I, I decided with Paula that I was going to take a, take a step up and try the marathon, um, and we talked about it, and uh, she hasn't really had any experience coaching um, marathon uh, athletes, really. Her, her experience is really, like, mid to, like, mid distance on the track, I guess, 15, 5k, uh, and 10k. So uh, I talked to her and I also talked to, uh, Brant Satchel. Uh, I've known him for quite a while. And, uh, he said that he'd provide me with, a a week by week plan leading into Prague. And, uh, so he's been basically giving me, uh, the weekly schedule. And I mean, Paula has been learning and keeping an eye on it and kind of giving input. But for the most part, um, the main, the main stuff's coming from Brant and then, uh, with a bit of input from Paula and then also trying to combine that with, uh, some of the advice that we got from Reed as well. You, uh, referenced the, the 219 mark, uh, a little bit earlier on in the interview and uh, I just w- I just want to mention that and, and go over that a little bit. Uh, of course, it's the the three fastest people under the IAAF marathon qualifying time, which is two nineteen. Um, this is a relaxed mark from what it has been in the past. Normally, Athletics Canada, uh, you know, stiffens that uh, that mark quite a bit, uh, which obviously um, makes it very a very exclusive standard to uh, to hit. However. With the 219, it's it's allowing people like you to uh, to step up to the marathon, try and and make one of those world's teams. Um, obviously, you see this as being very beneficial for yourself, but do you see it as a good policy? Um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely think it's gonna help grow um, the the distance, the um, the distance racing on the road uh, for for Canada. I mean the old the old standard before they before they revised it was like i don't know exactly but i think it was in like the 213 range and i mean you basically you knew who was going to hit that it was going to be reed it was going to be gillis and then um 
depending on on how healthy he is or not, that Dylan would would have a shot at that as well. Um, so basically, you knew exactly where where you stood with the team for the marathon. But uh, with the with the relaxed standard, it allows people who were maybe people like me who are maybe thinking about it weren't sure if they wanted to give it a try. People like that to really give them that push to say, hey, let's give it a go and see how we do. I mean, I know like someone like Seth Maricaccio is, is taking a crack at the marathon as well. Um, I think if you look at the last time AC had a, had a more relaxed marathon standard, which was, I think back in 2009, maybe uh, when Worlds was in Berlin, um, that was the first marathon team that Reed made. That was the first marathon team that Dylan likes made. Um, and really it was the, the kind of starting point for their marathoning careers. And, uh, they basically only ever moved up from there. Are you surprised to not have seen more people throw their hat in and, uh, and announce that they are going to be jumping into a marathon this spring? Um, I guess a little bit. I mean, it was a fairly late announcement of the, that 219 standard. I think it came in early February. Um, but, I mean, you've got like guys like myself, Seth. I think Tristan Woodfine, I've heard, is also going to be going for that standard. Um, so I think it's definitely got definitely peaked, peaked the interest of uh, – some of those guys, and I'm sure there's other people who have kind of got it in the back of their head as well, who maybe just aren't uh, aren't talking about it. Um, I mentioned a little bit earlier that last year you ran a 14105000 meter in uh, in Belgium, which was a huge breakthrough for you. Um, after this marathon thing is done, or maybe during it. You know, while while you jump back and forth between the roads and the and the track, do you see more more room to grow in the five thousand, or are you going to focus more on road racing after this? Um, no, I'm definitely definitely going to go back to the five k. I definitely think there's still room for improvement there. Um, that was that was one of the main things, main concerns I had with moving up to the marathon. That was actually something that came up with Reed as well was should I stick to the track in the summer, uh, run fives and a few tens and try and improve my times there. Um, but, but basically the, the advice I got was that the marathon, if, if you're really a, a distance guy training for the marathon is only going to help your five and 10 K when you come back to them, be it this summer or next summer, um, so yeah, no, I'm definitely not done with those. And I mean, hopefully this summer I can, I can drop those times a little bit more. So we mentioned a little bit earlier, but, uh, you are from an area called the Yarker. Yeah. Yarker is a very small town, um, close to Harrowsmith for those who, uh, who followed that, I believe out of print magazine, I believe that originated from kind of around there as well, yeah. but all in all, you're uh, you're a Kingston boy at heart, I guess. I guess you could say because you're pretty close to there. Now, Kingston has produced a lot of guys over the years. Um, you know, Kevin Coffey uh, most recently, but uh, also Dylan Wikes, uh, Emily Setlack, 
Um, also, you know, there's guys like Steve Boyd there. There's guys like Brandt uh, who are very much keeping the running culture alive. Um, I, th- I think I'd be uh, remiss to not mention y- your father, who really is very instrumental in, in the whole cross-country thing there. Um, what what makes Kingston so special, and, and what is, is the running distance scene like there? Um, yeah, I mean, Kingston is definitely definitely kind of a a distance hub now i guess you could say um if you you read uh steve's actually steve's latest blog he he talks about that a little bit um lists a bunch of names of of people that have come out of uh, the physical group that have gone on to national championships um national teams athletic scholarships and stuff like that and he he says that given the size of the area, it's actually a surprisingly high number of people that that are on teams and getting scholarships and stuff like that. And I think I think a big part of what makes uh the Kingston team so great is Steve. I mean everyone you listed there either is coached by Steve or is Steve. <laughs> so I mean I think Steve is kind of the the center of all that uh, distance stuff coming out of Kingston. I mean, before Dylan moved out to Vancouver, when Dylan was doing his first marathon, he was trained by Steve. Uh, same with Kevin. Before he uh, moved out to Vancouver, he was he was with Steve. Um, Emily, she was with Steve for quite a while. Uh, like the McDougals. Um, just anyone who came from out of Kingston has been connected to Steve in some way. And he just really uh, loves the sport for, for what it is and isn't in it for himself or for glory or anything like that. He's just in it to, uh, to kind of spread the, spread the word, I guess. <laughs> One last question for you. Um, you know, coming up right around the same time as, as the Prague Marathon, uh, the Neuro Half is going down in Kingston. Um, I've heard rumors that Clive Morgan will be running the, the Half Marathon. Um, how's his training going? What, uh, what time can we really expect out of him? Um, yes, yeah, Neuro Half. That's, that's actually put on by Kevin Coffey's girlfriend, Kyla. Um, I think it's the first one this year. I think uh, it's to raise funds and awareness for uh, brain trauma victims, I believe. But mm-hmm. it's it's for a good cause. It's definitely going to be a great race. I think uh, my dad definitely had a hand in planning out the course. And I think it's so it's going to be accurate. I think it's going to be flat and <laughs> fast. Uh, some fast times coming in there. I don't know where these rumors have been coming from but i guess i will be the one to dispel them uh as he will be in prague that weekend so um i guess the the showdown between you and him will have to wait for another race but <laughs> i think he's ducking me because when i uh when i emailed him back in january he said oh yeah yeah but obviously things have changed there and uh and that uh that's excusable Blair Morgan, he uh, he's out of Hamilton right now, but he's getting coaching from 
everywhere it seems but he will be in Prague taking a taking a crack at that 219 and uh and we're definitely going to be wishing you uh the the best of luck for sure um will there be a live stream or or do you know I haven't heard anything um if there is I would assume probably some somewhere like flow track would have it but yeah I haven't heard anything well, well, hopefully we'll we'll hear something. I think I'll be in Kingston that weekend, so uh, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll keep us updated. Um, and like I said, we're we're hoping for the best for you. And and thanks a lot for being on the show, man. Awesome. Thanks a lot for having me, Michael. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Terminal Mile. Big thanks to my guests this week, both Blair and Rachel, as well as to Tracky for their ongoing support, and to you for listening. If you want to find us online, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram at the Terminal Mile. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and of course tracky.ca. Thanks again for listening. This has been the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. (laughs) 